This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Welcome to Cast Club Radio. Today we're going to be taking a trip down memory lane with some of our favorite segments from this show. Kind of a best of Cast Club Radio, if you will. Enjoy. We are so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. How has everybody's past week been enjoying this great sunshine? Yeah, enjoying the weather and, uh, and it's a good excuse to open up your favorite adult beverage. Absolutely. And maybe that beverage should include BSB because you're added another impressive award to your collection recently, Justin. Yeah, it seems like uh, every week there's another one coming out. So last week we won double gold at the SIPS International Blind Tasting and it happens every year. This year it happened down in California. It is one of the uh, penultimate um, award uh, and judging of spirits in the world. They gather consumers influencers, judges of uh, the bartending trade and the production side, and they grab them all together and they sample through thousands of products. And BSB, our brown sugar bourbon, won a double gold in the flavored whiskey category. And this follows on the heels of BSB winning the best flavored whiskey in the world award in London from Whiskey Magazine just uh, a month ago. There's definitely a lot of accolades now to your name. Is there one that means, you know, particularly more than any other one? It's the uh, photos that we get from customers who get BSB and they post them on our Facebook page or Instagram or Pinterest. Um, One I saw this week was uh, a a person had literally dozens of bottles of BSB, empty, cleaned, washed, and he had built it into a uh, chandelier for his... (laughs) Man cave. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> With full lights and everything. Wow. Uh, just BSB bottles all around in circle. Multi-tier. Three tiers. Uh, in the chandelier he built. And that's the best accolade is because it means people like the product, they share it with their friends, they tell their friends and family about it, and they go out and they buy another bottle. And not only do they enjoy drinking it, they like it enough to turn it into home decor. It's crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, uh, it's tapped into the zeitgeist, uh, I think. And what's fascinating is to watch our Pinterest page. We have 48,000 Pinterest followers now at Heritage Stone Company, wow. which is a big number. 80% of the followers on Pinterest are women. That's the demographic. And we continue to see women who want to get into more whiskey and brown spirits gravitating towards BSB, trying it, and then sharing their favorite cocktail idea and photos. And then it just spreads and spreads and spreads with their friends and family. Absolutely. Well, other big headlines in the news this week. What's going on in the industry? Well, our friends at Precept Wines, that's uh, headquartered here in Seattle, Washington. They're a large uh, owner of multiple wine brands that you would be familiar with on the shelves. They are making an aggressive move into the canned wine segment. They see that category growing, especially in the summertime. People don't want to be carrying around glass bottles um, down the beach. So they're finding their favorite wine in cans now. Precepts total volume neared one and a half million cases last year, up 7%. And uh, the dollar growth for canned wine is increasing up 54% compared to last year. The St. Chapelle Spritz 
lineup features three expressions of wild huckleberry, wild mountain berry, and blood orange. Uh, those are uh, efforts out of Idaho uh, with a spritz, so it's kind of a lower alcohol, um, frizzy wine, malt beverage uh, flavored alcohol product. And uh, we're just seeing more and more and more of these companies bringing out interesting packaging that relies less on glass and more on smaller individual serving sizes. I think it's the perfect city to do it in. You know, in Seattle, we love to get out while the sun is here because we know that it goes away eventually. I think everyone likes to maximize that and and to be able to just take it on the go and not have to have glass is very helpful here. A lot of busy schedules. Convenience means means a lot. Especially, again, we've talked in the past, when it's 80 degrees out, 90 degrees out, you don't want a really heavy, thick, red Bordeaux wine. It's just not the right environment for that kind of wine. You want something light fresh, crisp, refreshing, something you can chill on ice. Throwing cans in the cooler, taking cans on the boat, uh, and the ability for you to get different profiles and flavors, because you may like a different one than I like differently, and we can all share in the same experience but have different products in smaller packaging. You don't have to open a whole bottle and then put the cork back in it. Absolutely. The next story up on our headlines today is pretty interesting to all of us here. It is. Uh, the five states that like to drink the most... And the study was carried out by a website called Play USA. It looked into the number of times Americans have used the Internet to search for places to drink alcohol in their state over the last 30 days. It takes into account a total of 823 million searches on Google, Yahoo, and other search engines. So, again, this is not about what people are buying. This is simply about what are people searching for. Again, this kind of taps into what is the zeitgeist, what is, what's the collection of people out there doing and search drives it. 823 million searches is a big sample size. So number five state is the state of Minnesota. I I noticed a trend on here, Justin. Uh, I think as we get through these, you'll start to notice that uh, quite a few of these cities are pretty cold weather cities. I was wondering if that had anything to do with it. Probably. I don't know what month they did this in. I think this was done in the month of May. So Maybe not. You have people coming out of winter or they're planning, you know, to go into summer and planning their summer breaks or probably a lot of searches around Memorial Day weekend and what to do for cocktail ideas. So number five state was Minnesota. Number four is Massachusetts. That follows the trend you're thinking about in terms of cold weather. Oregon is number three. Number two is Colorado. And number one is New York, which makes sense because of uh, population. I'm a little surprised we don't see states like Louisiana uh, Nevada, those types of states where you have a, a high tourist population driven or, driven around the adult beverage society of uh, New Orleans and the casinos and such. Yeah, I wonder if that's because a lot of people within those states aren't searching for it. It's a lot of tourists that are outside of those states searching before they go on vacation or before they go to who knows. Could be. It could be. So uh, we'll see next year uh, if Washington breaks into we the top five. Make it on there. That's right. That's our final story in the headlines this week. Well, the final story involves making vodka from an unusual source, and that is uh, the way of cow milk. Uh, it's a brand called Black Cow Vodka. We talked a little bit about this last year, and now they've actually come out with a product. They were they were testing it last year. Now it's available. Researchers at Oregon State University are looking at the flavor profiles of vodkas made with whey, uh, which is a byproduct of the cheese-making process. And uh, even though there's energy required to transform the whey into vodka, there's a huge environmental gain, they say, by not disposing of the whey into public waste streams wastewater and sewer. So they say that the whey ferments and distills very well, very clean. It's a lot of protein. And then they 
have put it under the label of Black Cow, and it uh, is a UK-based creamery that has launched this product, and uh, they secured a number of partnerships with premium bars starting in London, but this is going to be one of those things where, you know, close the loop, full circle back to the farm, and uh, if you are have a wheat allergy or an allergy to grain or rye, um, and that's the kind of vodka you stay away from, maybe you want to gravitate towards a vodka made from milk whey. It's interesting. I would like to try it and see if you can note any subtle differences in flavor as well. Yes, uh, we should get a sample bottle and uh, we should <laughs> test that for sure. Sounds good to me. Coming up next on this best of episode of Cats Club Radio, we sat down at the Crab Pot with Mike Griffith, talked to him about his family history with the Miners Landing and bringing the Great Wheel and Wings Over Washington to Seattle. <laughs> Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Now, recently, the whole gang here uh, sat down with our friend Mike Griffith down at the Crab Pot. He is one of the great minds behind several iconic Seattle attractions, including the Great Wheel. We are at the uh, Crab Pot down at Fisherman's Landing. Miner's Landing. Miner's Landing. It's been here how long? This pier in particular has been here since the turn of the, I mean, late 1800s. My office is actually in the original store, like, building front on the waterfront from 1895 where the USS Portland landed right off the north side here with a ton of gold what basically brought Seattle to the focus of the Yukon Gold Rush so it's a pretty old building hopefully we don't fall through yeah right <laughs> and you're hearing the voice of Mike Griffith yeah I'm the grandson of the uh, Hal Griffith the owner of uh, I guess he's more of a consultant these days. My two uncles are the owners some of our whole operation. So. And still family-owned? Yep, still family-owned and operated. Uh, it's my two uncles and myself that run the day-to-day operation. Very large company, operated very small. So. How many people? Uh, we range, you know, honestly, from a few hundred to over a thousand, depending on what time of year it is. A thousand employees? Yeah, depending on what time of year it is. I mean, we have drastic peaks and valleys here on the waterfront. So. And that's, I mean, our, our full employment travels all the way down to California. We yeah. have multiple companies, and we have restaurants in California as well. Uh, Crab Pot in Long Beach and Fisherman's down in San Clemente. We're lucky to have employees that have worked with us for a long period of time, so it's more of a family when we have our holiday party with the managers. It's really just a get-together and excuse to hang out. And a lot of these managers have known me since I was 10 years old when I started nosing around the pier. And you have uh, Seattle's newest attraction? Yeah, Wings Over Washington. My Uncle Kyle put that in. We opened it in 2000. I think it was end of 2015, so it's been open for, oh no, 2016. It's been open for almost a year, a little over a year now. It's really cool. It's hard to describe what it is, so I always tell people they have to come down and actually do it, and then I'll describe it afterwards. <laughs> a lot easier that way. I describe it for people if they've been to uh, California eventually. Yeah. Yeah. The ride is called Soaring Over California, so you get in a chair, and the ride lifts you up, and you're moving in front of this massive Mad Max-type theater. Mm-hmm. And the best part is, is you're flying through all these scenes, in this case around Washington, you get sprayed in the face with all the odors. So you get a little salt water, you get the tulip fields, you get oranges. oranges. Like you're, uh, They've got one shot in one of the forests here in Washington where you're driving through and you see these uh, mountain bikers riding mountain bike paths. And you smell the dirt and you smell the pine needles as you're flying through. It's pretty cool. You guys did an awesome job on it. Yeah, it took Kyle, I think, a little over two years for filming. It was a lot of uh, front mount helicopter filming and drone film. So it's majority actual footage and a very, very, very small part CGI. And yeah, that was his uh, little project that he did. It was pretty crazy. What you see, you would, would blow your mind when building this thing, 
when you're dealing with an old pier like this, we have piling, and a lot of the piling's old. So when we put in the Ferris wheel, we actually had to rip out part of our pier and lay all brand new piling, and then put in a separate, if you go out there, there's a seam. It's a separate platform out there that the Ferris wheel stands on. So I tell anybody, if there's an earthquake, just run to the end of our pier and hang out next to the Ferris wheel, because it's probably safer than anything in downtown. And the Ferris wheel has become the iconic shot of downtown Seattle now, for all yeah. the news and, and everything that shows up. Used to be the Space Needle, yeah. and now the Ferris wheel is the most identifiable thing. Well, that my uh, Uncle Kyle is also lead on that project. He uh, says it's a miracle that even got done. I mean, the fact that... The city approved us to put a Ferris wheel out over the water where at one time you'll be out over 40 feet off the end of our pier hanging out over the water. Um, and it's been my grandfather's dream like over 30 years to have a Ferris wheel down here. He's just loved Ferris wheels. Our carousel um, is uh, you know, something from the 60s, 70s. And he put that in here. The guy just loves Ferris. He loves their food. He just loves throwing a good party. So. And you got the license, liquor license, so that you can get drinks and take them on the Ferris wheel with you. Yeah, that was a new thing that we added in this year. We've actually always had the liquor license, but we we wanted to be able to perfect the operation before adding the wild card of booze on that thing. Um, but what it's really neat, yeah, but it's a it's a really good ad- addition to do several years into it, um, and we feature all heritage uh, liquor. Uh, right now, we're doing a hot cider and BSB. It's definitely by far a crowd favorite. During the summer, we ran just a simple slushy and uh, batch twelve vodka and. Man, that was a huge hit for people. Uh, we also work with Legion for their, we run a lot of their beer out of there. And yeah, I mean, it's fun. People people are happy on a Ferris wheel. Put a drink in their hand, they're even happier. Yeah, I've heard that a few times and I didn't have a drink. I need to come back and have a drink now. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the, the, the lights, the LED lights that are on there? So we have over a million LED lights on there that we can program. And we are very lucky that our general manager, Jerry Hall, has taken it as a personal pet project of his to run all of our light shows. And he calls it the grown-up light bright. He's got this basically a piece of paper that he puts over his computer screen, and each one of them has a number on it, and that correlates to a light, and he can change the color of that light to whatever degree of that color that you want it to do. And so he's done most recently, um, I believe it was the Indigenous People Day. He did a really cool Native American light show on there. It almost looked like a dream catcher. I would tell everybody to go on and check that out. But, I mean, we do anything from gender reveals to just random holidays to local like charities that want to run things on it. So it's a really fun type of uh, light show that we get to do. Blue Fridays, you're running Blue Fridays, yeah. Um, what was funny is when we were putting up the Ferris wheel, one of the biggest things that was a roadblock for us is the people of Seattle were worried about light pollution and were worried about this being a, a horrible obstruction to their view. So if you actually stand in downtown Seattle and look this way, straight on our pier, we've angled the Ferris wheel to have the least amount of view resistance. So it's very narrow when you look at it from up, I guess, middle of downtown out. And we've worked hand in hand with our biggest naysayers on our light shows because they were worried that we would just be throwing out obnoxious things. And some of the people that were our biggest naysayers are now our biggest advocates to what we do because we're so community-oriented. And we hear if somebody's got a problem with the light show, we receive the email, we go through it, we'll actually talk with them what their problem was and hopefully rectify that. And, you know, it's, pretty, it's funny how much the community 
Now they'll actually call in and say, yeah, I really like that light show. You guys did a great <laughs> job with it. You know, maybe next year we can add something else to it. It's like, yeah, why don't you come on down? We can do it together. <laughs> but, yeah. This anti-Ferris wheel lights was a stance. No, neither did I, but it became one. Um, but Jerry Hall says his, his favorite thing to do when he's programming lights is to open a bottle of red wine and to listen to fish. That's that's what he's Love fish, yeah. yeah there you go. So what's next now? I mean, if you, if you put in the... We have a few that. projects, but we're not going to release those That's yet. Fair. Um, That's fair. We we did. We are always working on trying to build a gondola, and that is a gondola that would run from the convention center down to our front patio here. That would help alleviate some of the parking pressures. That's been a little bit backburnered, and that's just because when you're dealing with uh, public property and building private transit, it, it becomes a sticky issue. But it's something that we're always trying to push for. So. Cool. Yeah. yeah, it's a really green green way of transporting masses amounts of people and. It gives an alternative to our busing system that sees so many um, struggles in the greater Seattle area. And, you know, you got to figure before the, the waterfront project started, we had over 1,600 parking spots down there. When this whole project's going to be done, we're, we're going to be down below 100. So to keep the viability of the waterfront open, we need to get creative, and we got to figure out a way to keep this historic, iconic area thriving. And so... The Pike Place Market's done a great job of adding on, and they're working on doing a stair climb project that'll make a little ease of movement through. But we also want to add something like the gondola that'll help transport people down here. As well as interior, if you think about the number of cruise ships that drop people off right down here, how many people do you know like walking up hills? You know? We'd have stops at, uh, up by Benaroya and up at the convention center, so you'd have a couple different layers of areas where people could hang out and go do shopping or go to the SAM, the Seattle Art Museum, stuff like that. That would be awesome. <laughs> we should talk about that offline. i got a couple ideas. <laughs> Coming up next on this Best Of episode of Cast Club Radio, she's one of our favorite interviews of all time. She's a physician, a veteran, an American ninja warrior, and a happy Cast Club member. She does it all. Up next, we hear from Jennifer Stankus. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. I'm your host, Lydia Cruz, and I'm joined by a good friend of this show, Jennifer Stankus. Jennifer has served in the military. She is a medical professional by day and in her spare time has trained for American Ninja Warrior. Yeah, you heard me right. It would be easier for me to tell you the things that she hasn't done, hasn't accomplished. Both Jennifer and her husband, Seth, are members of Heritage Distilling's Cast Club, a unique opportunity where people can invent, create, mix their very own spirits. What's your experience of going and walking into Heritage the first time? That was a that was kind of a cool story that Seth told us. So uh, I believe that we had, you know, driven through the downtown Gig Harbor area a million times, but had never really noticed that even though it's right in a prominent place in downtown Gig Harbor on the waterfront. But you know, we um, we like to go down and we, we actually like to make some of our own plates and things. There's a little store called Java and Clay. And we had made some noodle bowls or something like that and then decided to walk along the waterfront and then just happened to see the distillery, at Heritage Distillery. And so we went in and we saw a bunch of these small kegs on the wall and inquired about you know what those were 
before and did some samplings of their whiskeys and, and then also their their flavored vodkas. And we were really impressed and started asking about the cast club and, and what kinds of things you can put in there. And what was really fun was that, you know, it wasn't just whiskeys and putting together a mash bill and trying to create what whatever sort of whiskey you wanted. Turns out that, you know, um, that you could do a gin. And so I asked, I had this idea that I wanted to, what would be like a dirty gin martini straight out of the bottle. <laughs> so I asked if you could add um, olive juice and maybe some smoke and, and pepper to that. Uh, to make something that would taste like a dirty gin martini. And they said yes. So, um, so that was my first um, foray into the, the cast club. And um, and it turned out really great. And then um, I decided that I wanted to try something a little bit different because I had heard that Jane, the distiller, had made a gin with pineapple. And I thought, oh, God, that sounds so disgusting. <laughs> that, like, why would you do that? Why would you pair pineapple with Why would you punish gin? gin like that? I know. Just like, you got to be kidding, right? And they're like, no, no, it's really good. And so I hadn't tried it. But, you know, the nice thing about the cast club is that you can experiment. And if the experiment goes wrong, <laughs> you don't have to buy it. You can dump it and start over so, I mean, you pay for what you pull, basically. I mean, you pay you pay the annual fee, but then whatever spirits you pull from your barrel is what you pay for, which is nice. Yeah. And so, oh, and by the way, I figured out that I can make this as a business expense <laughs> because oh, that's awesome. you can yeah. give to colleagues. So, <laughs> so um, but anyway, so I decided, well, I'm going to try pineapple, but I like any recipe, I can't follow a recipe. I have to I have to change it or modify it or play with it a little bit. So <laughs> I ended up adding, um, uh, what did I add? I think I added jalapeno the first time. So I did pineapple jalapeno gin. And Ooh. I have to tell you that it turned out so incredible. I mean, people go crazy over it. Yeah. Um, it it's the most unique, fun Spirit. Um, in fact, a lot of people who say they hate gin love that. So, I mean, it's just like this perfect combination. And um, and so it wasn't totally 100% my idea. I have to give some credit to Dave, <laughs> but it was really fun. It And it turned out really well. And I, I felt like I should just keep making more of that because it's so perfect, but I can't do that either. <laughs> so, um, so the next one I did, I wanted to do something like really different and, and really really experiment and like I said if it turns out to be something that you don't like it doesn't matter you can just scrap it and start over but I decided my favorite first two years of college were in Hawaii and so um, I learned to love guava juice it's my favorite juice mm-hmm. on the planet so I was like well I mean if the pineapple works why not guava it'll be a little bit different but I, I still add a little bit of the heat to it so I still added the, the jalapeno but that one turned out great too and right now I have uh, it, but it was it's odd because the the guava you would think it would be lighter but it maybe it was because I aged it a little bit longer but it turned out a little heavier even and so um, I combined right now in my cast I've got um, I've got the pineapple guava and jalapeno and we'll we'll see how that if I kind of go taste it today <laughs> if it's ready to pull that sounds that sounds pretty delicious yeah you've turned into quite the mixologist 
It sounds like. Who would have done? <laughs> Jennifer, you're a woman of many talents, to say the very least, and I do mean the least. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, I've, I've actually done, like, a lot of things. I, I graduated from high school a couple of years early, and I did, like, mountain rescue and ski patrol and EMT stuff. And I was a police officer during college. Um, and then I ended up going, oh, I, I was in the Naval Reserve as a medic also during that time. Wow. And then I ended up going to law school and joined the Army as a JAG officer. It was kind of fun because Seth and I are both really proud of our military service, but we're also airborne. Everyone wow. qualified. So so that's actually how we met. We met um, in the Army in the South, and we both wanted to move back here. So he, we both got out of the military and moved back to the Gig Harbor area. And um, then I ended up going to medical school at the University of Washington. And then after, um, after that, I ended up training in emergency medicine. There, it would have been easier to probably ask you what you haven't done, Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's not a lot. I know. I know. It's so, I have, I really, I've had like the most blessed fun life. Well, and um, and the thing that I love most about Seth is that we both just, we just love, you know, experimenting, learning new things. We're always trying new things. And, um, and the cat's love is just, you know, one of many. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got interested in American Ninja Warrior? <laughs> So um, one of my colleagues sent me the link to Casey Catanzaro's final run, the one that went viral and um, and really, I think, kind of made American Ninja Warrior. Mm-hmm. I and mean, that's when the, the show really took off. But a colleague sent that video to me and just said, you're the only woman I know who could do this. And I watched and I was like, oh, my God, that looks so fun. Like, how could you not want to do that? <laughs> so, so I built this. Um, so I applied for it and got it. And then I built this, uh, I built all these obstacles in my, my garage and under our deck. And I told my husband, don't worry about it. You won't even notice it. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. But this thing is a huge cage in our, in like half of our garage. And um, so I went to, I designed it all out. It's got the salmon ladder and the devil steps and all kinds of swinging obstacles and big pegboard and all, and you know, the, the little handholds where you go across and <laughs> with your fingertips. And so I was building this thing and I was at Home Home Depot and they're like, oh, you're building a, a playground for your kids. I'm like, no, <laughs> this is for me. For me, yeah. <laughs> kids aren't allowed. Go away. This is for me. <laughs> well, you're my hero because I would look at that and say that, oh yeah, that does look fun and that looks awesome, but I don't have the upper body strength for it. So I give up. Or I'm too intimidated. <laughs> no way, man. You, like, you can totally do it. That's the thing. One of the things that I love about um, life and about especially being in medicine and coming across so many interesting people is that you, like, I really do believe that the human capacity to, to learn things or do things is just, like, it's untapped. So, like, if you if you thought that you didn't have the upper body strength, well, you might not now, but you could totally do it. Like, you're totally capable of it. That is so yeah. cool. I don't know where you find the time. I'm sure your work schedule is very busy as well. (laughs) 
I know you and Seth both have military backgrounds, and Heritage actually makes a special forces bourbon. Have you guys been able to try it? Oh, yeah, that's one of our favorites. And, and um, you know, the thing is, is that Heritage is really a huge supporter of the military. And some of the proceeds, I understand, go back to that special forces unit, And um, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But re- regardless, that is that's one of our favorites. And you know, any anything, even if I, even if it wasn't my favorite, which it is, I would still buy it just to support the military. I and mean, we have a huge military population. In fact, you know, I, I work on the military base and support the troops and dependents and retirees. So, um, so that's kind of an important thing for us. Definitely. And thank you for your service. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks amazing. for appreciating it. Maybe the last thing I would ask is anybody who might be considering becoming part of it, you know, what would you say to people who are kind of either thinking about it, don't know about it, on the fence about it? So um, if it's something that seems interesting, um, I would visit either the, probably the downtown store, just because it's so cool, but that or the main main brewery or distillery, sorry, geez, um, or the main distillery and um, have a sample of some of the spirits that other people have made to kind of get an idea. You know, it's funny because uh, there have been lots of people in when I've been trying uh, my gin or or something like that, and they're like, yeah, I would never want to do a gin. And then they try mine, and they're like, oh, man, that's really good. I'd like to make one with this, this, or this in it. And it's really fun. So I think that it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know. So um, going in and experimenting and trying lots of different things, even if you think it's not something that you'd like, is I think useful and instructive so that you can figure out you know what what you like and and try different things and get new ideas. And For example, their team are some of the most approachable, fun people. So oh, they don't so have to worry great. about that. Yeah, they're really nice people. And you know, one of the things that's always been interesting to me is people who are worried that they don't know enough, like they won't go to a wine tasting because they don't know about wines or whatever. They're intimidated. Well, everyone has to start somewhere. Like no, no one. No one knows anything until, until they start learning about it. Exactly. And the staff there is so friendly and knowledgeable, and they love to teach. And so it's a really good place to learn about these spirits. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. Yeah, thanks, and have a good day, guys. <laughs> you too. Coming up next on this Best Of episode of Cast Club Radio, we sat down with our friend Patrick Spaulding to play a little game of word association. What does your bartender think when you order your drink? That's coming up next on Cast Club Radio. Cask Club Radio. Served up by Heritage Distilling. Now, it's time for life tips from a bartender. Time for one of our favorite segments. Tips from a bartender. We've done this before. Bartenders, some of the wisest people around, right? They see a lot. They hear a lot. And we talked to our friend Patrick Spaulding recently to get his life tips from a bartender. Our first tip from Patrick is some general advice on how to order at a bar. Maybe more aptly, how not to order. My last rush, yeah, my last place, I had I had a lot of whiskeys. Uh, I had like over probably 100 skews of different whiskeys, from Scotch, bourbon, rye, you name it. Uh, so it was let me get a whiskey, and that preface by let me get that's another kind of that's a that yeah, makes my that makes me not have to go to the chiropractor because I'm cracking my own neck. Let me get as in like. I'm gonna walk around behind and grab my own. Or yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a yeah. I think it's just a super informal way of saying "May I please?" It's like when somebody says "Appreciate you, man." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you now? 
<laughs> I really don't think so. <laughs> So that one was kind of twofold. It was maybe a little helpful lesson in manners slash, I don't know, how to just be a better orderer. A command is not a request. Mm-mm. Let me get. <laughs> let they, me get. They they both have different punctuation on the end. Yeah. Uh, a question mark versus an exclamation point. Yeah. Yeah. And let then me, also realizing if you just say, let, let me, well, maybe don't say let me get. We established that. But if you just say, let me get a beer or let me get a whiskey, there are very many options. You're going to need to give the bartender some more to work with there. Yeah. If you walk in this town and say, let me get a beer, I mean, what are they going to do? going to give you <laughs> Sam Adams? I, maybe that should, you know, serve those people right. You should just be able to hand them whatever you want at that point. <laughs> and they have to drink it. There's should, an unwritten rule. We should go back to when I was a kid. Uh, they had like the generic beer in the grocery stores, a white can, black letters, beer. Right? Really? Yeah, they did. It's amazing. They sold just generic beer, okay? So if someone walks in and says, let me get a beer, like, okay, you asked for it. That's perfect. Here you go. <laughs> a beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same thing. We should make a whiskey that just says whiskey. White <laughs> label, black letters, whiskey. That's generic. it. Generic. Generic whiskey. Never, I've never heard of that. That actually is, is a good idea. We're going to do that. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> generic whiskey. <laughs> so, yeah. It's always a good idea when the person you're asking or you're expecting to give you something you're going to enjoy, that you ask for it politely and not utter a command to them. Please and thank you. Never overrated. No, it's good. No. It's good. <laughs> All right. What's next on our bartender tips from Patrick? I, I would say, you know, every risk that you're afraid of taking, uh, you just you just got to take risks sometimes in life. And I think in the restaurant industry, it's it's more forgiving for risks, especially if you're a bartender, whether it's, you know, trying out something different, you know, different ingredients or a, an interesting, unique take on something, whether, you know, fat washing and stuff like that is really unique and kind of a newer thing. Well, maybe it's not new, but it's something that I know some of my peers have been doing, you know. I think it's pushing the envelope. Uh, Seattle is the kind of city where we can push the envelope and, and people follow suit, you know, and it's okay to mess up and not succeed. I like that. You can view life the same way you view mixing a cocktail. Take some risks every now and then. Any uh, example come to mind that you have, in in fact, taken a risk, either when it comes to, to drink making or drink ordering, where you said, hey, I mean, the few times that I can think of is where I've put, put my drink fate completely in the hands of the bartender and said, please... I trust you. You make me what's good. Yes. Uh, I was in Alaska. This would have been 2004. And I was at this really cool bar called the Corsair. It's underground, across the street from the Captain Cook Hotel in downtown Anchorage. Long day, raging headache. And the bartender said, hey, I'm going to make you something for that. And it had one of your favorite ingredients. It had absinthe. Oh, yeah. What do you? <laughs> Talk had, about taking risks. Yeah. <laughs> had absinthe and uh, chartreuse liqueur and two Advils. And that's what he gave me. And he said, this will oh. make your headache go away. <laughs> and it worked. It worked. Did it give you an even larger headache? Or? No. Oh, okay. No. no. The man knew what he's talking it, about. It eliminated all the stress in the back of my neck. <laughs> our final tip from Patrick involves our final tip from Patrick involves a little relationship advice, something bartenders observe and know a lot about. Well, I've seen some. I've seen some serial <laughs> daters, you know, in, in my in my life here in Seattle. The ones that have been the most successful, I think, just seem to be themselves. You know, whether there's someone there that they're interested in or not. When I talk to them, they are they are that same person. Uh, I think, you know, how you dress, you know, matters. You know, when you're in a position of caring or having other or care what other people think about you, you know, 
that dress uh, certainly uh, adds up. I, I think the people that have just been the, the coolest, the calmest, have been able to laugh at themselves. I think are the ones that are you know the most successful in the bar bar world. And also, I think the one the, the people that don't try to push drinks on their 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 date. You know that that can be red flag. That can be well, it is a red flag, but it can be decidedly you know skewed in one you know towards yeah. one gender. But I think. You know that that makes for a successful experience. I don't think it's looking. It's looking for. I don't know. Maybe the second or third date, not necessarily. That seems weird to me. What dating online? No. Uh, <laughs> hey, you haven't taken a drink yet. You know. Yeah. Here, have another one. Yeah. Have you seen it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So don't be a pusher. Yeah. That seems kind of obvious to me, but apparently Patrick sees that quite often. So we're doing a public service announcement to everyone out there right now. It makes you seem sketchy. Don't do it. Yeah, it's more. It's not even a red flag. It's like a blaring red light. No. He referred to them as serial daters. Mm-hmm. Talked about uh, you'd see the same person there like three times a week, but with different, yeah, different you know people. Which Kevin Stump also told us when we did our bartender interview. So the serial dater. I like that. <laughs> Um, but in terms of pushing drinks, you two um, would have different experiences than me. Have you been in situations where people have tried to be pushy when it comes to getting you to drink more, drink faster? Um, have you been in that Not in a experience? dating situation, no. I haven't. Thank goodness. Yes, I <laughs> you agree. Know, That's peer more, pressure. <laughs> more of a college, yeah, peer pressure kind of kind of way. But in a, in a dating situation, no, I probably would have left immediately yeah. had that happened. <laughs> Hey, you know what? You can finish this one and that one. Right. You can finish mine and yours. Got to go. Yeah. yeah. I also liked his dress for success note, too. That's true. So, again, no no overalls? Mm, maybe not just not that day. Yeah. Going on a, on a date that might, pumpkin you know, patch. Fly fishing. No. <laughs> Singlefarmers.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Farmersonly.com. Farmersonly.com. There you go. Well, that leads us into the uh, drink of the week. Drink of the week is going to be our brown sugar amaretto. features two ounces of BSB 103. So if you get one of those little minis, it's 2.2 ounces. So it is almost the exact size. You can take a sip and then use the rest in the cocktail. Almost a full ounce of amaretto, two ounces of orange juice, and the Agnostura bitters or some other really interesting local bitters you might find. Stir those in a glass with ice. Don't shake them. Stir them. And then uh, garnish it with something festive and has an amazing cinnamony, mapley amaretto style flavor profile and the orange juice has a really nice kind of sweet citrus balance to it it's delicious man it is good <laughs> cast club radio is brought to you here at cairo and you can download the podcast at cairo fm you can also go to heritage click on the cast club radio link and also we encourage you to go to facebook and and uh, like us at cast club radio thanks for listening to cask club radio brought to you by heritage distilling part of cairo weekends on cairo radio 97.3 fm check us out on mynorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes cask club radio brought to you by heritage distilling on cairo radio 97.3 fm